Welcome to the Theology Research News podcast. Theology Research News provides updates from K. Levin's Faculty of Theology and Religious Studies to a worldwide academic audience. It features interviews with faculty members, discussions with visiting scholars, and updates about our publications, conferences, and other events. Please visit TRN at theologyresearchnews.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Today we feature a lecture by Peter Nissen, who is professor from the Radboud Universiteit Nijmegen. The title of his talk is Trends in the Study of the History of Christianity, Five Decades of Leuven Scholarship. Thank you very much for the invitation and for the very friendly introduction. We were deans in the, in the same period, in your first period of deanship, uh, so we had a lot of contacts then. Uh, I remember that uh, the university of uh, the dean of the faculty of theology then said well we in leuven we do theology since the 15th century so we there is no reason for us to to introduce religious studies and uh, see what the name of the faculty now is here <laughs> but perhaps that was your successor <laughs> okay <laughs> It's an honor and a pleasure uh, to be here um, in Leuven, it always is, but especially today on this uh, feast day of uh, Damian. Uh, probably all of you knew, were aware of the fact that today is the feast day of Damian de Veuste, who is, uh, uh, you can honor his grave, his tomb, on uh, a few uh, meters from here in the chapel of the Sacred Heart uh, Fathers, uh, Pippus Fathers. And it certainly is, I think, no coincidence that we meet on this day because Therese van Isaka, who is a specialist in mission history, organized uh, this day. So he must have thought we should find a date that is related to a Flemish missionary. I'm happy to see uh, so many old and young friends and colleagues and to be invited to say a few words on uh, the study of Christian history, church history, while well, we'll say also a few words about how to name uh, our discipline. Um, uh, and then I, I was invited to speak especially about the period since, let's say, the late Middle Ages, uh, early modern time up to the 20th century or contemporary history, and that on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of your English-taught program of theology. 1969, the Flemish Faculty of Theology of Leuven University that was recently split up into the Catholique Universiteit Leuven and the Université Catholique de Louvain started an English-taught theology program next to the program in which Dutch was the official language. And in the five decades that have passed by since then, the study of the history of Christianity has experienced a number of what you could call scholarly turns, um, as the study of religion at large has experienced a number of turns. And uh, these turns have not remained um, unnoticed by the Leuven church historians, but at the same time, I think looking at uh, Leuven scholarship in the field of church history in the past five decades, why one might observe a strong continuity, and that's the first thing I want to praise uh, Leuven for, a strong continuity 
and the emphasis on what I would like to call the craft, the craftsmanship of historical research. Leuven scholars hardly seem to be tempted to drive along with what seems fashionable in the world of academia. They follow the major trends in the study of the history of Christianity without becoming trendy. And I think the main reason for that is that they continued to emphasize the importance of sober and tenacious study um, of the historical sources, the source materials, the archival documents, the manuscripts, the printed writings of theologians of the past centuries. The methodology of accurately reading and um, analyzing primary and secondary sources might seem a bit dull and old-fashioned, but it's the only sound foundation for a plausible reconstruction of the historical past. And since the founding by Alfred Cauchy of the journal Revue d'Histoire Ecclesiastique in 1900, the attention for historical source criticism is a marker of the Leuven approach of church history. Ad fontes, back to the sources. It was the device of 16th century humanist scholars here in Leuven and elsewhere, and it still is, I think, the device of present-day church historians at this university. A good example of that is the excellent Leuven research on the Second Vatican Council, done in the Center for the Study of the Second Vatican Council. A legendary church event, as the Council is, is alive to numerous interpretations. The Leuven approach has always been, what do the documents tell us? Church historians all over the world should be thankful to the Leuven faculty for maintaining this idea of craftsmanship in historical research. Having said this, I nevertheless want to review a set of important shifts or turns in the study of the Christian past, underlining that these new trends still need and will always continue to need the craft work of historical source research. A first turn in the study of church history became visible shortly before the Leuven faculty started its English program. I mean the ecumenical turn in the study of the history of Christianity. In 1961, the German theologian and church historian Ernst Benz published a small booklet with the title Kirchengeschichte in ökumenischer Sicht. And he criticized the phenomenon that for most church historians, the history of the church was the history of their own church, the church to which they belong. Church history was denominational history. In most cases, you just needed to take a look at the table of contents of a handbook of church history uh, to know whether the author was Roman Catholic, Protestant, Anglican, or Eastern Orthodox. A late example of this denominational approach, um, or you could say bias in the study of church history, is the handbook published in 1987 two years after his retirement, by the Leuven church historian Robrecht Baudens, who became 
uh, a lecturer in Leuven in 1969 and a full professor in 1976. His research was mainly in the field of missionary history, I already mentioned this uh, Leuven tradition to which Dries van Isaker also has contributed. And um, he had a strong interest, uh, I think also uh, encouraged by the Second Vatican Council uh, for 19th century reformers such as de Lamennais, Tyrell, von Döllinger and Newman. But his handbook of church history, written in Dutch, was presented as a result of his many years of teaching church history at Leuven University. And in the preface, Bowdens states that he wants to present, I quote, a scientifically approved overview of the highlights of 20 centuries of church history, end of quote. But as a matter of fact, it only deals with the highlights of Catholic church history. And the title of the book makes it clear. It's, it's entitled Moment Opnamen uit de Geschiedenis van de Katholieke Kerk. But it's the only place, the title of the book is the only place where it expressively uh, states that it's about the Catholic Church. In the book itself, in the preface, and it, uh, he, he uh, still gives the impression that it's the church at large that he speaks about. Um, as a matter of fact, so it only deals with the highlights of Catholic Church history. After Luther and Calvin, there seem to be no Protestants anymore. That's very typical in many Catholic handbooks of church history. The latest Protestants were Martin Luther and John Calvin. And there were no Anglicans anymore since the 16th century until an Anglican became Catholic in the 19th century, John Henry Newman. And after the schism of 1054, there are no Christians anymore in the East. For Bowdens in 1987, the history of the church still was the history of his own church. In order to overcome this type of denominational church history, Ernst Benz, in his booklet 1961, meant that the scope of church historians needed to be broadened. And he gave a number of suggestions for this approach. At the background of his plea, there is still a certain, you could say, theological presupposition, a certain ecclesiology. But it was a deconfessionalized, non-denominational concept of the church. The church consists of all those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and therefore church history should be more than just the history of one denomination or one confession. Between 1970 and 1974, the first attempt appeared to write an ecumenical history of the church of the churches would be better, uh, better way to, um, to, to name it. The three-volume German Ökumenische Kirchengeschichte, edited by the Catholic church historian Raimund Kotje and the Lutheran scholar Bernd Müller. It is still used in many theology programs um, uh, in German-speaking countries, uh, and probably also in some of the other countries where students still read German, which is still, uh, 
I, I would say, uh, the language for scholars. Uh, now in its revised version of 35 years later, edited by the church historians Thomas Kaufmann, Göttingen, and uh, Hubert Wolf uh, from Münster. And in the meantime, it has got many followers, of which the 14-volume work, as was mentioned already, Histoire du Christianisme, published between 1990 and 2000 in French and in German, is beyond doubt, I think, the most elaborate example. Doing church history has most certainly become a non-denominational enterprise in the past five decades. A second important turn in the study of the history of Christianity is the one that I would like to call the anthropological turn. Its most important early expression was the two-volume work Histoire vécue du peuple chrétien, published in 1979, edited by the French historian Jean Delumont, who held the chair for the history of religious mentalities at the Collège de France in Paris since 1975. His work demonstrates a shift from, let's say, institutional church history to a history of the living faith of Christians. And it is at the same time a shift from a church history that mainly deals with church leaders and theologians to a history of the common believers. The German scholar Annette Rieks has shown that this anthropological turn in church history has not only been induced by developments in French historiography, uh, like such as the Histoire de Mentalité, History of Mentalities, but also by the post-Vatican ecclesiology of the church as the people of God, based on the second chapter of Lumen Gentium. A history of the church should no longer be only a history of clergy and bishops, it should be a history of all the believers, and especially of lay Christians. This anthropological approach was uh, demonstrated, you could say, in a number of histories of French Catholic dioceses. In the Low Countries, this example was followed by the Leuven historian Michel Clouton. Professor of Early Modern History in the Faculty of Humanities, who, as far as I know, but Leven probably knows it, uh, Leon probably knows it much better, uh, never taught in the Faculty of, of Theology. Uh, although he cooperated with a number of Leuven uh, theologians in publication, publications on common practices of Christian faith, such as baptism, confirmation, and marriage. His thesis on religious life in a rural deanery in the 17th century, that was the deanery of Tilt, defended in 1965 and published in 1968, was already an early example of a history of lived religion of the common believers. Michel Crutu retired in 1969, it's already 23 years ago, they're all getting old. Um, also was the inspiring editor of the histories of the dioceses of Bruges and Ghent, in which also uh, church historians from the Faculty of Theology, such as Holberg Baudens, uh, cooperated. 
The volumes on these two dioceses exemplify the French anthropological approach that they not only deal with diocesan leadership, with the bishops, the cathedral chapter, the diocesan institutions, but they also extensively inform the reader about the life in the parishes, the practices of pastoral care, the daily devotions of the common believers, they inform us on Catholic education, on family life, on religion and the daily practice of common believers. A third turn in the study of the history of Christianity is what I would call a material turn. In some way, a logical sequel of the anthropological turn. Church historians got interested in the material aspects of religious practices the way religious people dress, the way they decorate their houses, the way they prepare and take their meals. Famous example of this is uh, the book Material Christianity, published in 1995 by the American scholar of religion, Colleen McDaniel. Colleen McDaniel called attention to the importance of material culture in the everyday religious practice, in her case, of American Christians in the 19th and 20th century. Her book demonstrates a breakthrough in the study of the history of Christianity. The one-sided emphasis on institutions and convictions gave way to an approach that also includes objects, places, practices, rituals, embodiment, and the senses especially the role of material objects and practices of devotion became a prominent topic of historical research since the 1980s. For a long time, the study of these devotional objects was neglected by scholars or it was considered to be the playground for amateur folklorists. Since three decades, it's now considered a serious aspect of the scholarly research, scholarly research of church historians. And in your faculty, it has been introduced recently also in the last few years by the work of Hans Geibels, who published two volumes on saints and devotions in Flanders and a number of articles on the study of devotional printings. A last important, important turn in the study of the history of Christianity, as in many of the humanities, is the so-called linguistic turn. It's especially relevant for those historians who deal with written sources, with texts, with words. So in our case, for instance, for the historians of theology. The linguistic turn is guided by the conviction that words create realities. Words not only reflect realities, but they also create their own realities. In studying texts from the past, we should always ask, what does this text want to tell us? And why is it doing this in the way it does? The text is its own reality. For a long time, church historians thought that there is a real past which can be described to the extent that sources are available as it actually happened. So be as eigentlich gewesen, as the German historian Leopold von Ranke formulated it. But the linguistic turn 
made us aware of the fact that the past actually exists in the textual representations of the past. And that we therefore have to examine these textual representations very carefully and very cautiously. Leuven church historians consider their discipline to be a historical one. But at the same time, they are always in dialogue be specifically because of this importance of textual realities in dialogue with systematic theologians. And in this conversation, conversation between history and theology, they have the role of, to misuse a frame of Paul Ricoeur, masters of suspicion. What is the text saying and why and what is it not saying? And why is, in, is it saying it in this way? What is behind the text? What remains unspoken? Well, this approach is, I think, explicitly clear in the Leuven research. I already mentioned it on the documents and the developments surrounding the Second Vatican Council. Already in 1969, the Faculty of Theology, so also uh, 50 years ago now, the Faculty of Theology founded a center for the study of uh, the Second Vatican Council, inspired by the theologian Jan Grotes, who collected a large number of documents and archival materials concerning the Second Vatican Council. 1992, I think, Matthijs Lambrechts took over the coordination of the center, and he and his colleagues organized a series of international conferences on Vatican II and edited a number of scholarly volumes. And the commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the Council, um, Matthijs and his colleagues also reached a larger audience with public presentations and professional publications on the Second Vatican Council. The research on Vatican II is, I think, a suitable example to illustrate another characteristic of the Leuven School in Church History. As I said earlier, since the founding of the Revue d'Histoire Ecclesiastique, it is a firm conviction in Leuven that Church History, as far as its methodology is concerned, is a historical discipline. But at the same time, Leuven Church historians have always sought the conversation with systematic theologians. A few years ago, in 2016, Matthijs Lambrechts, together with Lieven Boever and Terence Merrigan, edited a volume on the normativity of history, completely devoted to this conversation between systematic theology and history. In this sense, one could say that church history is at the same time a theological discipline, because it plays its role within the orchestra of theological voices, the orchestra of theological discourse. Church historians are, you could say, citizens of two kingdoms, to paraphrase Martin Luther, but he uses it in another sense, of course. They are citizens of the kingdom of history and of the kingdom of theology. And in their deba debates with their fellow theologians, church historians have to contribute significantly to a contextualization of theological discourse. 
I think that's an important characteristic of the Leuven approach of church historians in their conversation with systematic theology, this emphasis on contextualization. Due to the linguistic turn, church historians know that religious texts are never contextless. They don't fall down from heaven, they neither generate in a vacuum, they originate from textual realities within social, cultural, economic, and political circumstances. Church historians are aware of these circumstances, and they articulate them within the theological debate. It is this debate, in other words, the communicative environment, the communicationszusammenhang, as Hans Reinhard Seliger stated it almost four decades ago, that makes church history also a theological discipline. Ten years, more than ten years ago, 2008, Leo Canis defended this, you could say, pragmatic approach. Where is church history actually practiced? In an interesting volume of the Leuven faculty on the debate between theology and religious studies, Quo Vadis Theologia. He considered the church to be the environment where church historians practice their critical role. I would prefer to consider theology to be the arena. I think church history becomes a theological discipline uh, as far as it, it is practiced within a theological debate. Theology is its arena. In the Netherlands we have had a lively debate about 10 years ago on the status of the study of the history of Christianity. And it was more or less generated by the publication of two new handbooks. The one entitled Nederlandse Religiegeschiedenis, so Dutch Religious History, and the other entitled Handboek Nederlandse Kerkgeschiedenis. I cooperated in the second one, the handbook, uh, Handboek Nederlandse Kerkgeschiedenis. Should the study of the history of Christianity be approached as religious history or as church history? The first label seems to be more in line with the anthropological term. Um, I discussed it earlier. The other seems to emphasize that Christian religion is always experienced within the social framework of churches. The German Protestant church historian Kurt Nowak, already 20 years ago, a few years before he died, 2001, tried to reconcile these two approaches by saying that church history is the interior part of religious history and religious history is the outer part of church history. So the Innen und Außenseite. I don't think this solution is very satisfying. Um, I think it's rather artificial. Um, and I think that both approaches, so the religious history approach and the church history approach, both enter into the inner side of Christianity. In a volume published in 2010 by the Vereniging van Nederlandse Kerkgeschiedenis, Association for Dutch Church History, I try to overcome this debate between religious history and church history by proposing a third way. Let's study the history of Christianity as the history of religiosity 
according to the dimensional model of um, Ninian Smart. Ninian Smart, founder of the Religious Studies program, first in the UK, University of Lancaster, later in the United States. Ninian Smart um, published a book, Dimensions of the Sacred, 1996, um, in which he distinguishes seven dimensions of religion, of dealing with the sacred. The organizational dimension is one of them. So, in a Christian context, churches. But the doctrinal dimension is also an important dimension of religiosity. So, studying the history of theology, the history of doctrine, the history of dogma, is also a relevant part of the historical study of Christianity. But also the other five dimensions, the narrative dimension, the ethical dimension, the ritual dimension, history of liturgy, for instance, the experiential dimension, history of spirituality and mysticism, and finally, the material dimension. All religions also Christian churches and denominations make use of places, buildings, objects, clothes, etc., to express their religiosity. So this dimensional model, this model of seven dimension, I think includes all the trends and turns of the past few decades, but it contains even more, and it comprises also classical aspects of church history such as the study of the history of ecclesiastical institutions and the study of the history of theology itself. Mentioning the combination of institutions and theology gives me the opportunity to express my high esteem and admiration for the way in which Leuven church historians in the past five decades have attended to the history of their own institution the Leuven Faculty of Theology. Um, speaking about church history at this esteemed university, I always have to say that coming from a university that was founded uh, uh, only in the early 20th century. Um, so, speaking about church history at this university might be much more than speaking about the academic discipline of the study of church history. It might also, be, might also be speaking about that history itself, the history of Christianity, its institutions, and its theology, because in its almost six ages of history, Leuven University and its theologians have played an, a significant role in the development of Catholic Christianity. One could think of the very first uh, academic condemnation of Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther's theology in 1519 by Leuven theologians of the importance of Leuven in the struggle with Jansenism in the 17th and 18th century on the role of the faculty in the development of the 19th and 20th century Catholic theology and on its role in the preparation and implementation of the Second Vatican Council. I would like to emphasize a specific characteristic of Leuven's scholarship in the field of church history, 
Um, and it's a characteristic that is often neglected by colleagues at other institutions, namely its ample and respectful attention for its own history. Leuven church historians have a strong tradition in writing about their own predecessors and about the history of their own faculty. The historian Karel Brocks, priest of the Diocese of Antwerp, who taught church history in the Leuven Faculty of Theology until his early death um, in 1983, he was only 57 years old, published his important dissertation, 1958, on the condemnation of Martin Luther, the verordeling van Martin Luther to the Theologische Faculteit der Leuven, de Leuven in 1519. A thesis he had defended in um, 1957, not in the Faculty of Theology, but in the Faculty of Humanities, in the Department of Early Modern History. Brooks was not a very prolific writer, although as a student, I myself gratefully made use, and perhaps also others here present, of his bibliographical introduction to church history. But a few articles he published also mainly dealt with topics from the 16th century history of the Leuven Faculty of Theology, such as the conflicts between Erasmus and the Leuven theologians. Important work on Erasmus has also been published by the Dutch Franciscan friar Edmund van Eyl, who since 1968 also held a chair in church history at the Faculty of Theology. Van Eyl published a two-volume book on the early development of Erasmus and a number of articles on this famous humanistic scholar. Edmund, or by his religious name Eduard, also published important works on other aspects of the history of the Leuven Faculty of Theology. He devoted his unpublished thesis, also in the Faculty of Humanities, same as Karel Brooks, to the 16th century Leuven theologian Michael Bayus, also Inquisitor General of the Low Countries, on whom he also published a number of scholarly articles. Twenty years later, he edited an important volume on the history of the Faculty of Theology up to 1797, to which he himself contributed the chapter on the founding of the faculty and on its theologians in the 15th and 16th century. He also wrote the entry on the, the history of the University of Leuven in the famous Theologische Real Encyclopedie. Van Eyls, of course I'm happy to to emphasize this Dutch contribution to your faculty. <laughs> he came from the province of Brabant, but the northern part of that, that unfortunately belongs to the Kingdom of the Netherlands. Uh, Van Eyl's work on bias is, I would say, exemplary for the Leuven approach in the study of church history, through the craft of unbiased, close reading of the sources, unimpeded by dogmatic presuppositions, he was able, you could say, to rehabilitate um, Bayeux's theology from the condemnation by the papal bullas of Pope Pius V and Gregory XIII. Blocks and Van Eyl's research on the Leuven theologians of the 16th century has been continued by the younger generation, especially 
in the work of my dear colleague and friend Wim Francois and a number of his students. In the last two decades, Wim Francois produced an impressive amount of articles in edited volumes and scholarly journals on aspects of 16th century Leuven, but not only Leuven, Dutch biblical scholarship in relation to theology, censorship, vernacular Bibles, and humanism. He especially paid attention to humanistic biblical scholarship in 16th century Leuven in the work of professors who often not were teaching in the Faculty of Theology, but in the Faculty of Arts or the Faculty of Humanities. Another beautiful example of this focus on 16th century sources, Dutch theological sources, is Wim Francois' Biblia Sacra project, a project on early Bible translations and editions from the Low Countries, carried out in cooperation with the University of Amsterdam. Nevertheless, the Leuven Faculty of Theology also housed a lot of opponents of 16th century humanistic and Protestant scholarship. I already referred to Blocks and Van Eyl's work on their opposition, the opposition of the Leuven theologians uh, against Erasmus, humanism, and Martin Luther and reform. This is also continued in recent uh, scholarship, uh, the thesis work of Gert Gilles on the role of Leuven theologians in the 16th century Inquisition, um, especially on Nicolas Copin, is a good example of that, and in a certain way, I think, the earlier Tilburg thesis of his uncle, present here, Marcel Gilles, on uh, Jacobus Latomus, um, also could be considered a product of this Leuven tradition of research, research on 16th century theologians. Another important chapter, of course, in the theological history of the Leuven Faculty of Theology is formed by the debates surrounding the theology of Cornelius, Cornelius Janssenius, another Dutchman who contributed to the history of your faculty, uh, a theology that in a certain way was prepared by the work of Michael Bayus. It was again Edmund van Eyl who in 1987 edited a volume on the images of uh, Janssenius. Very interesting shift from uh, studying, so to say, B.S. eigentlich gewesen into studying framing uh, images in church history. The images of Janssenius in the 17th and 18th century. Proceedings of a Leuven colloquium held here in 1985. The research on Janssenius and Janssenism has remained of great importance in Leuven up to today. Since 1983, it's organized in one of the research centers of the faculty, nowadays uh, entitled uh, Centrum for the Studie van Augustinus, Augustinisme and Janssenisme, chaired by Matthijs Lambrecht. Building on the work of the Flemish Franciscan Lucianus Seisens, who taught at the Antonianum in Rome, the center published a very useful bibliography, for instance, on pseudonyms in the Jansenist debates. The 
Lexicon Pseudonymorum Janssenisticorum. On the occasion of the 350th anniversary of Cornelius Janssenius' famous book, Augustinus, the Center organized an international conference in 1990, the third conference within about a decade on the development of Augustinianism at Leuven University with contributions of a number of Leuven scholars. As far as I can see, in the last uh, few decades, the study of the Jansenist controversy got less attention from Leuven scholars, if I see it correctly, as is the case for the 18th century Leuven theologians, theologians who debated the upcoming Enlightenment, the topic of the unpublished thesis of uh, Jan Rogiers and of a number of his articles. Um, Jan Rogiers also defended his thesis in the Faculty of Humanities, not in that of uh, theology. Uh, he was my predecessor in the Dutch-Flemish journal Trajecta. Um, so he also defended his, his thesis, in the fact, not in the Faculty of Theology, but in that of Humanities, as Carl Brooks and Edmund van Eyl did. And his main task in the university was that of librarian, archivist, but nevertheless, during uh, a decade, he gave most of his classes in uh, the Faculty of Theology, uh, as he said in an interview on the occasion of his retirement, because he took over the classes of Karl Bloch, who died suddenly, and the classes of Edmund van Eyl, who uh, as he retired. Um, Jan Rogiers also initiated dozens of exhibitions and publications on the history of Leuven University and of its Faculty of Theology. Research on Leuven theologians in the 19th and 20th centuries has been flourishing in the last few decades due to the eminent work of professors Leo Keynes, Lieve Gevers, and also Matthijs Lambrechts. Leo Keynes, who recently retired, uh, undoubtedly became the specialist par excellence for the history of Leuven theology of the last two centuries. Due to his important thesis on the history of the Leuven Faculty of Theology in the 19th century, 1992, and his bibliography of the Leuven Professors of Theology and Canon Law published, published two years later, Together with uh, Lieve Gevers, he also edited a volume on the more recent history of the Faculty of Theology, and um, uh, it, it was very helpful to me in uh, preparing this paper. It's a beautiful overview of what the Faculty of Theology has done between, let's say, the 1960s and the 1990s, and I hope your faculty will have the opportunity to get another volume within a few years on the next quarter of a century. So, on the work you have been doing. And then finally, there is of course the excellent work, uh, I mentioned it already, on uh, the importance of Leuven theologians of the 20th century for the Second Vatican Council, uh, work that has been done partly within the Center for the Study of uh, Vatican II, uh, but also uh, on non-Leuven theologians as uh, a former student and a professor uh, of uh, uh, Nijmegen University, 
I should be grateful for the research you have done here on theologians like Piet Schoneberg and Edward Schillerings. <coughs> to be short, Leuven church historians took good care of the history of their own institution. I think there is hardly any faculty of theology in the world whose history has been studied so extensively, so profoundly, and so comprehensively as Leuven's faculty of theology. I think partly this will be due to this kind of sense of togetherness, uh, a feeling of solidarity I think uh, Leuven theologians have, and which is I think partly the result of a very simple phenomenon, namely, namely the way in which you recruit your teaching staff. Up to now, I think the vast majority of the academic staff of Leuven faculty, most of its church historians also, have studied at this same university and defended their theses here, either in the Faculty of Humanities or in the Faculty of Theology. This system of what in Germany they would call Hausberufungen, uh, which is a very tricky thing in, in Germany nowadays, I think, um, has been very conducive for a kind of historical concern for uh, the history of your own house. So, Hausberufungen can be very fruitful for um, the history, attention for the history of the house. I hope, I hope uh, Leuven church historians um, will uphold not only this tradition of research on their own heritage, but especially their strong concern and their firm tradition of studying sources, going back to the sources, ad fontes, studying the uh, archival sources, the manuscripts, the early printings, source criticism, and um, also this uh, mastery of suspicion, uh, as I would call it with Ricoeur, um, uh, this contextualization of historical discourse in the past as a contribution to um, the debate within theo theology and religious studies nowadays and in the near future. So I would like to finish to wish this house of study uh, the best of luck. And I do it with the words from my own university, Indei Nomine Felicite. Thank you.